Kia ora this is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. I'm Susana Suisuiki. Coming up... Our voices, our Pacific Wave. The annual Pacific Islands Forum Leaders meeting begins this week. Also... Can we reunite as a region again? Uh, there's been a bit of friction in the past. Local Cook Islanders share what it means to host the forum. And later on, a former chocolate maker teaches Pacific cacao farmers the perfect way to make a cup of Milo. Pacific leaders and their delegations are arriving in Rarotonga for the largest annual leaders meeting, the Pacific Islands Forum. Climate change, economic recovery, regional security and fisheries are just some of the big ticket items for the leaders set against a backdrop of geopolitical tensions between the US and China. Lydia Lewis filed this report from Rarotonga. The host and chair of the Pacific Islands Forum, Cook Islands Prime Minister Mark Brown, has drawn a line in the sand in light of growing geopolitical interest in the region. We are not a region of competition. We are a region of collaboration. We will work with whatever development partner is willing to work to our terms. This year's meeting will be led by Pacific leaders, not superpowers like the US and China swooping in on the action. Mark Brown says previously all the oxygen has been sucked up by the US, noting Hillary Clinton's visit to the last meeting in the Cook Islands in 2012. When Hillary turned up, the whole focus, all of the oxygen that we had generated as a Pacific region was sucked up by the USA. And there's a lot on the Pacific agenda this week. Climate change, post-pandemic recovery, regional security and tuna to name a few. Australia's Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, who is currently in Beijing, will be here. He's flying here straight from China to head their 70-strong delegation. But former Papua New Guinea politician and Forum Secretary-General Dame Meg Taylor says Australia has a lot of work to do on the climate front. The, the issue that Australia continues to produce coal and gas and just what is going to be done about it. Then there's the question around Australia's joint bid to host a UN climate change conference in 2026 with the Pacific, which some Pacific leaders are supportive of. The Pacific elders are just a bit more wary of, of how it's going to be done. I personally think that if Australia wants to host, Australia should, should host. But to Australia to host for the Pacific, to what purpose? That's my question. When we have very different points of view about the climate issues. Several Pacific leaders have already landed for the big political meeting. Already in Rarotonga are new Air Premier Dalton Tangelangi, French Polynesia President Moetai Brotherson, Palau President Surangel Whips Jr., Tuvalu Prime Minister Kauseo Natano, and Tonga Prime Minister Huakava Meiliku Siaosi Sovaleni. Prime Minister of Vanuatu, Charlotte Salwai, will be attending, with climate change likely front of mind as his nation recovers from Category 5 Cyclone Lola. Missing in action this year will be Solomon Islands Prime Minister Manasseh Songovare, whose country is preparing to host the Pacific Games in a fortnight. James Marape, Papua New Guinea's Prime Minister, is also absent from the arrivals list, and Fiji's Prime Minister Sitiveni Rambuka is reportedly only making a short appearance. 
For the second consecutive summit, the contentious issue heading into this week's meeting is the replacement for the Forum Secretary-General role, currently held by Cook Islands' Henry Puna. Micronesian leaders' announcement of former Nauru President Baron Wanga as their candidate drew widespread criticism in the region given Mr Wanga's poor track record on the treatment of refugees, interfering with the judiciary and corruption allegations. His candidacy was accepted by the leaders as part of an agreement to mend a rift with Micronesia and bring Kiribati back into the fold after it withdrew from the forum last year. RNZ Pacific understands Baron Wanga is attending this week's meeting in Rarotonga. Nui's Premier Dalton Tangilangi shared his thoughts on the matter. It's a turn for the Micronesian representative, and that's who they have um, elected to be their Secretary General. So, so of course, he'll be taking over after um, Henry. Mark Brown wouldn't budge on his position either. This is not about my personal views. As the chairman of the Pacific Islands Forum, my job is to make sure that our meeting is conducted in a way that produces fruitful outcomes for all of our region. Something Prime Minister Brown was keen to talk about is this year's theme. Our voices, our choices, our Pacific way. He says it's a pertinent one for all Pacific countries who will not be dictated to. The assumption that maybe Pacific Island countries don't know what they're doing is starting to sound very insulting and getting to the stage of being offensive in some cases. First up on this week's agenda, the leaders will split off into their regional groupings to discuss their priorities. The opening ceremony is Monday evening local time. Then the leaders head to Aitutaki on Thursday on the Waka Tiariki Moana for the leaders' retreat. Meanwhile, with the stage now set for the 52nd Pacific Islands Forum Leaders Summit, there's quite a buzz around the main island and especially at the bustling Pōnanga Nui markets. The marketplace will not only be a magnet for tourists this week, but hundreds of delegates as well. Alicia Foon is also in Rarotonga and spoke to locals about the gathering and what it means to them. We're here at the Pōnanga Nui market on a Saturday morning. It's absolutely beautiful. It's bustling. So many people. The sun is out. Amen. Everyone is smiling. Good vibes all around. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's a busy morning. Uh, see with the, the forum and then tourism is very high these days. You will see a lot of people and selling all kind of craft uh, work into veggies and food, cooked food. Eh? And that's what's happening every Saturday. That's Papa Namira George, who's leading the opening ceremony chant, which will feature 200 children at the Pacific Islands Forum. He's looking forward to the event and gave a nod to the Premier of the Cook Islands, late Albert Henry, for founding the South Pacific Commission, which evolved into the Pacific Islands Forum we know today. When Albert Henry was the Premier, and from that day to today, I think it's 50 years now, uh, since the, the first forum, Albert Henry was given a formal pardon by the King's representative Sir Tom Masters in Raratonga last week. He was found guilty of election fraud in 1978 and was stripped of his knighthood in 1980. Wandering the market, I stumble across an enthusiastic man selling hot sauce, Paul Lynch. He, like a lot of Cook Islanders, wear many different hats. It just so happens he's also the former Seabed Minerals Commissioner. This forum is going to be a sign of the times to come. 
like uh, can they can we reunite as a region again uh, there's been a bit of friction in the past but I'm I'm hopeful or we're hopeful that the forum's going to prove to be a good forum and there's going to be good positive out- outcomes in the statements coming through that actually mean uh, make a difference to people in the grassroots level particularly related to climate change he says hosting the forum is a big deal for the island nation so to host the, all the delegates here it's a it's we're very proud of that and so the buzz actually started uh, six months to a year ago and it's it's helped with infrastructure so our roads have been improved a lot of spin-off benefits for the cook islands in terms of accommodation as well the bustling market will be a hub and key attraction for over 500 delegates from around the world. Jean-Marie Francis sold several of her skincare oils to American Samoa delegates who couldn't get enough of her products. So he bought a couple of bottles and then he bought the rest of his delegation. There was three or four of them that came back and bought some and then he came back a third time and, and then um, I gave him another little healing because the other side of his back was a little bit tender. <laughs> It's a really exciting time for the island. We do need the revenue. We've been shut down for three or four years now, and um, so we're just still recovering from, from that. The money that it's going to generate just from them being here is it's going to be so good for our economy. The market will be open for four extra days from Tuesday the 7th until Friday, the last day of the forum. Nancy Corder has been preparing her precious Cook Island Black Pearl jewellery in advance. We've had to restock a lot because we've got a lot of different Pacific nations coming over. We've, you know, we know the Samoans like big pieces, and so we've just tried to cater for everybody. She owns Kora Pearls with her husband Kora Kora. He expressed his excitement about the forum. And I'm looking forward to seeing all the leaders here and all uh, the different uh, culture that's going to be on uh, Rarotonga in the Cook Island. Papa Narima George, parting with this pearl of wisdom. Means go forth and be wise in the decisions that you make for a great future. Pacific leaders being urged to take heed in order to create meaningful change for future generations. A former chocolate maker from New Zealand has been teaching cacao farmers in the Pacific how to make their own Milo drinks. Una Brown wants to help the farmers realise the potential of the crops they grow, and she says learning about some of the products it leads to is a key part of that. Her role she has chosen in the cacao and chocolate industry is a fascinating one, as she explains to Don Wiseman. Well, I have... I have been working in the chocolate industry in New Zealand for sort of the past 16 years. But as part of that, I always wanted to go and visit cacao farming communities. And really, once that took place, I saw the injustice that was really in effect, not just in the Pacific, but around the world in terms of the disconnect of cacao farmers to the crop and the rest of the world loving chocolate. So the last four years, I exited the chocolate company I used to own. What chocolate company was that? 
can I ask? Yeah, it's called She Universe. It's based in Christchurch. And yeah, so then I set up the Kaka Ambassador, which is a very different focus, which is really about being on the ground in the Pacific, sharing with cacao farmers actually the crop that they grow and how they can consume it locally and how they can make local cacao products, not with any special equipment. And from that, developing the industry further so we can bring in high quality cacao products into New Zealand so we can also create new markets. So, yeah, I've been deep in that for the last four years. You've spent a lot of time in Papua New Guinea and in particular in Bougainville, I understand. My last trip was in Bougainville, but the last four years, predominantly in the Solomon Islands. And then this past 12 months, expanding that to Papua New Guinea. And I've been twice to Bougainville. How sophisticated is the cocoa tree business? In those countries? Cacao farms are not sophisticated. They are remote. There is no power. A lot of the communities don't have access to good roads, no infrastructure. And they're just used to selling their beans to what we call the bulk market, which it goes into big factories that most people don't know about around the world. And when the farmer manages to get his or her beans out of the community, they have no idea the price they will get when they actually get it out, say, to a wharf where there will be a buyer. So it's a very rudimentary environment and a very unpredictable in terms of pricing. But for those communities that grow cacao, it's their main cash crop. So they will grow their food, their vegetables, and cacao is their main cash crop, which will provide them with income for school fees, by flour, basics that they need. So it's it's the, one of the most fundamental cash crops in countries like Papua New Guinea, Bougainville, Solomon Islands. And through the work you're doing, how do you hope to improve it? What sort of things are you able to do to improve that? The first fundamental step. So there's different markets with different pricing. So there's the bulk market, which is driven by the World Stock Exchange out of the hands of the the farmers. And that's where the, the majority of beans are sold to. And that does not care about the quality. The next level of market is called the boutique market, which pays a higher price, but it must have quality beans to get that higher price. And a lot of the the farmers in the past have had training how to produce high quality beans, but they have such a disconnect with the crop because they never consume it. It's impossible for them to know what is quality beans for that boutique market. So the first priority for myself within the Cacao Ambassador is to be on the ground in these farming communities and show them how they can roast, peel, prepare their own beans, make their own equivalent of Milo drink and actually have it as a fundamental food for the family and sell it in the local market. So they start to become connected to the crop. And that in itself creates a huge change in terms of their connection, their understanding, knowing what quality is, but also being able to consume it and sell it locally. So that's one of the issues with around the world is that the farming communities who grow it do not consume it. But they will buy Milo as a big treat. In places like Bougainville, for instance, it's had a chocolate festival for a fair while. Yeah, Um, yes. There is local chocolate now being made, isn't there? Yeah, so um, that was really exciting to be there this year versus last year where there was one stand that we we were on, which was the only stand with chocolate, to see at least four or five stands this year with local products being produced. Whether it was very rudimentary cacao powder to actually a really nice chocolate actually being produced. So each year seeing the progress of the local market and the possibility of that 
And like within the Pacific, there's a very unusual example in Samoa. They consume cacao locally. They get one of the highest prices in the world because it's part of the local culture and it's it's a it's sold at every at every market in Samoa. Whereas the rest of the world and the rest of the Pacific, they don't consume their own cacao. So when you start seeing that happening, there's a huge potential for a local market for that. So, yeah, so we're seeing that was one of the outcomes of the Bougainville Chocolate Festival, that education of what is cacao, what goes into Milo, for example, and that they can actually make their own Milo in the village rather than paying a lot of money for something that has a lot of sugar in it. (laughs) How long a process do you think that it could be to turn this around from farmers with a few trees to a business where they can get the best possible prices and so on? It's a long process. It's not a short term. The most important thing is having the biggest picture possible of what's possible, the steps that are needed, and alongside that, creating the markets. You know, been involved in this deeply for for the last four years in the Solomon Islands. And what is really required is some incredible leaders in the communities who have the same vision. And certain communities can show and lead the way, and that creates the chain reaction in the whole country. So when you have communities who start consuming it, who start increasing the quality, who consistently produce the quality, and we find markets for those communities, and those communities are receiving a consistent price and are able to reinvest in their farms and their infrastructure and have stability, then we start seeing a change in a whole country because it's living and breathing and, and examples taking place. But it takes time. It takes time for the change, for the culture also to change. And from what I know and experience, it's not necessarily about bringing the West to these communities. It's just about enough change to improve the quality of life for the ground of care, but not there's so much value and beauty in, in life in the villages. But when we can create connection, a level of standard quality income, things like the youth stay in the village. And that is powerful. We need that because there isn't opportunities in the cities. So we want to keep the youth in the villages. We want the farming communities in Kakao to feel proud that they work with a crop that the rest of the world love when it turns into chocolate. So it's a long-term strategy, but when we have change within certain communities that are showing the way, we know it's possible. And we have those examples taking place in the Solomon Islands, in Papua New Guinea already, because there's also incredible leaders on the ground there. I can't do this on my own. It's, it's the people, the beings, the inspirational leaders on the ground in these countries that are really doing the work. So you're getting good buy-in. Yeah, so it's really interesting. In, in the Solomon Islands, there's a number of incredible women leaders in their communities. And in Papua New Guinea right now, I'm working also with some incredible male leaders. I, I don't know why it's working out like that, but that's how it is. But very strong leaders who are there for their community and are able to see the vision and show up for that first, no matter what. And through that, we can make the change. Yeah, it's incredible. What the, so we've incredible examples of that change happening. That's Pacific Waves for today. To listen back, head over to rndi.com slash programs. We're also on Apple, Spotify and iHeartRadio podcasts. From myself and the RND Pacific team, so fast we fall.